Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. You'll notice that I'm speaking in a more measured voice because our producer, Dave McGuire, has harassed me to the point where he won't let me come out with one of my more enthusiastic intros. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, I am joined by the excellent Julian Lawrence, Rory Smith, and one of my favorite commentators, Jim Proudfoot, JP, a man I've known going back many, many years to our talk sport days. He's going to be down the line, but because he's a professional, he has an ISDN, so it'll sound as if he's right here with us. Now, coming up on the show today, we'll be talking Champions League, Premier League, Everton and United, plus the usual quick hits, everybody's favorite part of the show. But first, let's talk about what happened at the Emirates. Good work by Felicoita. Now Fabregas, he's gone over the challenge of Santi Cazorla. And the referee, Michael Oliver, says dive, yellow card. Right, Arsenal and Chelsea, it ends up in a draw. I was kind of surprised by the the, the many incidents. I, I don't know how much there is to talk about, about the, the way the two teams necessarily played. But, Rory, let's start with you. It was a Chelsea side that lined up, you know, without a recognized center forward. Mm. Oscar plays up front, and you kind of realized... The false nine. No, but the first thing is, oh, it's going to be fluid because Oscar's not a center forward. But, no, if you put a dude up front and yeah. you ask him to make center forward runs, he magically becomes a center forward, right? It was perhaps a more conservative Chelsea... Uh, than we were used to in the first part of the season, but a more proactive Chelsea than than we saw in the last outing, and Arsenal couldn't get the better of them. Yeah, so it, Chelsea seemed to spend about half an hour trying to win, and then they seemed to decide that actually they were going to make Arsenal try and beat them, and that's fine. I don't ever believe that teams don't try to win games. We said this last week. I think that teams always try to win games, but they they might prioritise not losing them first. And that was what, and Chelsea defended really well and Chelsea really good at it and everybody knows that and it, it kind of suggested that maybe Arsenal don't quite have that little bit of nous that you need to break down the very best sides. That's all fine, we kind of all knew that. The only thing that surprised me, and I'm not criticising the way that Chelsea played at all, was quite how like delirious their celebrations were at the end. Because they're going to win the title. They must know they're going to win the title. They didn't have to draw that game. They could have lost that game and still won the title by like seven points. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah, but, but I, this I thought, is... that, I thought celebrating fine, st- celebrating like that was just a little bit odd. I I, I noticed that too. But Jordan, do you agree though? Because I, I I think it does make a big difference, and also also psychologically too. I mean, it's it's not just two more points. It's two points that Arsenal don't get. Yeah, you know, I get celebrating. Yeah. And I think I, it's very symptomatic of their mindset. You know, that's that's one of their big qualities is that sort of winning mentality that even a draw, you'll celebrate it as a win, especially takes you even closer to the title. And you're right, they, they could have lost this one and... They'd and still, yeah, they would have walked in. But... And it was a bit weird. It was a bit weird to see them, you know, celebrating a nil-nil draw and, and a very defensive performance overall, the way they did. But still, that's the winning mentality. And I'm sure in the dressing room, were, you know, there were some some screams and shouting and celebrations as well going on there because they knew that they, they went they went there for a job. They did their job perfectly, and and it's a step closer to the title and another title. Could Arsenal have done more? Is there anything you can look at this and say, "Ooh, Wenger got that wrong." I thought that he could have made more attacking-minded substitutions earlier in the game. I think he sort of 
delayed bringing on someone like Welbeck when it was obvious that they weren't going to be able to find a way through past the resolute Chelsea defence in the manner in which they were playing. So I thought they could have been a little bit more proactive about it. I can kind of understand the Chelsea celebrations because a lot of people thought that Arsenal were going to win that game. The bookies thought that Arsenal were going to win that game. And, and it is not the, the fact that it's going to hasten their coronation this year. I just think it's a marker going into next year that it's now 13 games that Wenger hasn't got one over Mourinho. So I think it was important from that point of view. Arsenal have been playing better football than Chelsea for a good eight, ten weeks now. But Chelsea still went and did a, a typical Chelsea job. I watched this game on television, and I, I stuck around afterwards for the post-game chat on, on Sky, which I don't normally do. I was I was curious because I'd read Barney Renee's column on Thierry Henry as a pundit. I, he said I don't normally watch the pundit bit unless it's Neville and Carragher, of course. And I was surprised by Henry sort of coming out and saying you absolutely need a top drawer center forward to uh, to win a title, and uh, Giroud's not it, and you know and he said it so emphatically that everybody seemed to agree. Wasn't going to point out to Henri that France won a World Cup with Stefan Givarch up front. And but then I, so then I started to think back to you know very good teams that didn't have an outstanding center forward. I don't know. I, I couldn't come up with too many because also in the Premier League generally there haven't been too many winners in the last. It's, you know, it's been kind of the same teams over and over again. But Bayern won a treble with Mario Mandzukic up front, right? Mm. Uh, are, are there examples of very good teams in this country who did well without a great center forward? Or does it automatically follow that if you're a team that wins a title, you will have a center forward who ends up scoring a lot of goals? You know, I, th- I think it's not just down to one center forward that has to be Messi or Ronaldo or whoever. You can, have, you, know, you can share the goals between three very good forwards and you know, Alexis Sanchez, Welbeck and, and Ju one season can have 20 goals each. You know, which is very possible and that could lead Arsenal to the title. So you I disagree think, with Titi? Uh, completely. I disagree with him on, on most of the things he's saying actually. Uh, starting with Chicharito and going, I think he had a terrible week. He had the, f- the worst week in his life. What, what did he say about Chicharito? He said that he shouldn't have said, it was, that was just weird. That was, it was weird. really weird. What did he say about Chicharito? He said that Chicharito shouldn't have celebrated like he did storing the winner against Atletico. He should have celebrated with Ronaldo because yeah. it was Ronaldo's goal. They celebrated like he's won the World Cup. And the, okay, the guy had a horrible a terrible season because he hardly played just scored a winner to qualify his team for the Champions League semi-final against their arch rival their arch enemies they hadn't beaten for seven, seven games in that season and then you criticise him you blame him for celebrate the way he did you know going towards the fans and then having the rest of the team Ronaldo included just come, going to see him and getting everybody together that was ridiculous I think do you know what I think if that had been any other player than Ronaldo and Henri had been in any other mood than the one he... He's obviously in a mood... I don't know Henri at all, but he's obviously in the mood to be controversial. And there is a theory that he's read some of the criticism of what have been relatively anodyne punditry performances. And he's so decided, he decided to, to ramp it up? So he's decided to kind of, yeah, mm. spin it up a little bit, which is what... what I mean, I, I, there are more important things in the world than, you know, who's a good pundit. It's, it's a weird debate. But if that had been any other player, it would have been... Wouldn't it have even been mentioned? Yeah. Was, I think the fact that... You know, Henri said, oh, the, the camera panned to Ronaldo. But if that had been any other player, the camera wouldn't have been anywhere near them. Why the hell is the camera always on Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> it wasn't, it, it, I'm not being funny, but it wasn't the world's greatest assist. It was a 1-2 and a little pass. Yeah. JP, going back to the argument in hand, what, what's your take? Do, do you need, I mean... Uh, I can't, he's like, well, I can't oh, think of too many examples. I, I mean, I can, no. I can pluck out one straight away of a, of a side that did very well without having a decent... <laughs> goal scorer and that was the whole side that got promoted from the championship to the Premier League a couple of years ago. The leading scorer that year in 46 games scored nine. 
Okay, and so they won promotion. Rafa Benitez, wait, I'm surprised you haven't piped no, up with this, given your guard. No, I was going to say Liverpool in the Champions League in 2005 with Milan Barros up front. No, what about what about Rafa Benitez's Valencia winning the title where the where the top scorer were like John Carew yes. with seven no, goals? No, because they had Mister and Mister scored a lot of goals that season. No, he didn't. One of the two titles that they won, I believe it was 2000. I believe it was 2004. It might have been 2002. The top scorer had seven goals. There you go. What a great example. That just shows actually. Maybe that shows. Maybe that you should read that book about Rafa Benitez. Is, that's an excellent book, and I think we should all buy it. <laughs> no, why don't you read it first? Appalling. I don't, do you read your own work? I don't read my. I don't really remember what I wrote. <laughs> I don't remember anything I wrote. I forget it as soon as I've written it down. <laughs> Apart from the whole, I mean, could you even make a case? And I don't mean any disrespect, obviously. Manchester United won a treble, yeah. and they had four strikers, yeah. right? Cole, York, Sheringham, and the other one who's Norwegian, whose name is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. By any means, these are obviously very, very good strikers, and, and Andy Cole probably should be remembered as a better striker, better center forward than he was. But I, would, I just kind of thought to where Thierry Henry kind of sort of set the bar of greatness, and he says, oh, Olivier Giroud is very, very good, but he's not, you know, a, a Messi or Ronaldo. Well... Neither were any, were any of those four guys. Is that a better counterexample? In other words, that. Or, or well, let me let me spin this back to you guys. Then, where would if Giroud had been in that Manchester United team you've just talked about, where would he have been in that pecking order? Because I would have it that he wouldn't have certainly wouldn't have been in the top two. But it's difficult, though, isn't it? Because it, it, that was a system that, that was a team that worked because they had partnerships up front. Yeah. Oh, so of, of your course. control on their own weren't kind of extraordinary footballers they were very good footballers they weren't world class I guess is the easiest shorthand for it but together oh extraordinary Giroud's been asked to do it on his own and that's maybe what's different is the fact that we're now looking at teams who ordinarily play with one up front so the assumption is that that one up front needs to be outstanding but I think we've had this conversation before Giroud is excellent no a lot of people don't think so I do I, I think, think he's absolutely excellent, Giroud. I, I think, think he really is. I, 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 I pose a question, is he one of the top five yeah, strikers we, in the Premier League? And, I agree. You know, as centre-forwards go, he probably is. All right, we have the endless referee debate and stuff, but we want to look at this not to have a go at Michael Oliver, although I think we will need to have a conversation about Ospina, but I'm going to leave that for last for obvious reasons. But I just want to look at some of these because I thought these were sort of interesting decisions that sort of speak to broader themes. The Cazorla on, on nice. Sesc. Nice. Thank you. JP, Sesc ends up getting booked for diving. Yep. There is contact. The debate on Match of the Day, and, and where Sheer and Savage <laughs> really, really disagree. <laughs> Savage came up with a novel idea. Well, why don't you give the penalty and book Sesc for diving? Yeah. I, it, it struck me that yeah, okay, so there's obviously not enough contact to bring him down, but by the same token, he's sticking his leg out, and Sesk has to somehow get around it. He can't sort of teleport through it, so he kind of runs into him. Is that pretty much what happened, and is that why the penalty wasn't given? That's pretty much what happened, but I still think the penalty should have been given. He's got, he's got no reason to go down there. It wasn't as if the ball was in a very wide position and was running off towards the corner flag. He had a... A perfectly good opportunity had he stayed on his feet. The contact was there. And I, I believe, and I know that this is almost a, a, an old-fashioned view these days and, and that it can open the door for you lot to pour scorn on me. But I believe that if contact is made, a player has the right to go to ground in a way in which the referee realises that contact was made. You sound like Rory Smith here. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with Jim. I think it was a penalty. 
I didn't think Savage's argument was quite as bad as Shearer's argument, which was that football is a contact sport. And it is a contact sport, and but that doesn't mean you're allowed to trip people up. That's Shearer also said that he never went down. Yes. Ever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that look ever. from Mark Chapman was, yeah, yeah. was just <laughs> brilliant. But no, I, do you know what? I think it was, it was a penalty, but it was also a dive. Uh, Julian, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Julian, I, I mean, I, there's, I don't think there's any question that this has obviously accentuated the contact. I mean, I, to me, the, the, the call Oliver has to make is, does Sesk run into Casorla's leg? Or does Casorla's leg run into Sesk? And it, I, I think whatever side you come down on should determine whether it's a penalty. Yeah. If I stand and I stick my leg out in the path of where you're running, I'm entitled to do that, right? Yeah. And I think that's why it's, it's so controversial, I think, because, I mean, here probably divided. Gab and I probably don't think it was a ban. No. Rory and JP think think it was. I think that Sesk feels the contact and goes down. And, and and I think JB, you're right, but I think that he can also continue his run even even after the contact. And I think for me, he goes down because he thinks there's been contact. I can get a pen there. So I mean, the natural extension of this then is that you elongate the advantage rule, so that in in this situation, Fabregas is encouraged to stay on his feet as long as he possibly can. He can have the opportunity, and if he misses it, the referee sees that contact has been made, and he pulls it back and gives a penalty because that is the only sensible alternative. That would yeah. work, actually. That yeah, would that work. would yeah. work. Yeah. That would, and I think Michael Over is. The fans would hate that. It, it, that's like sort of double jeopardy. Well, it, but that's the rule anyway. It's, it's the same for everywhere on the pitch, so it shouldn't be different in the box as well. I just think Michael Oliver was so well positioned for that one, at least. I think the other he got wrong is because he couldn't see it properly. But this one, it was just right. It was right there. It was like me and Gab right now, like you know, a yard of it. Just and to point I think, out to those listening that Julian and Gab are currently locked in an embrace. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will, I'm the first to give referees hard time when they're not as good, and I think good referees appreciate the criticism. Uh, but I think this was a really, really difficult call from Oliver because you get into in, in, in you get right into interpretation. Now the other one was was Bellerin on Oscar. Why are you pronouncing Trezola in such a fancy way, but not Bellerin? Yeah, I don't really. Yeah. <laughs> his first year for getting regular playing time. You'll pronounce his name properly if he's good enough. You have to earn your right to pronunciations. And that means you, Vasilevsky. Maybe I didn't see it properly, but it looked to me like Oscar kind of tripped himself up. I think it was the contact on the shoulder, really, rather than... So the contact, in the contact on the shoulder causes his legs to fly up and get tangled. He's made the most of it, but the contact has been made, and a player, I believe, has the right to make sure that the referee appreciates that contact's been made. It means helping the referee make a decision. Is but the problem is it. that I think if a player goes down in, in, you know, in this star-shaped dive then it always looks a die, whether contact has been made or not. And my natural assumption now as a commentator is if a player goes down like that in a star shape with, with his hands up, then, then it is a dive and he's cheating. But you think it was a penalty? I don't actually think that one was a penalty. In that case, the contact was so minimal that it would have been wrong to give a penalty. The referees are definitely watching for that shape as people fall and they're not giving penalties and the players who are smarter will work that out that if you make if you do that weird like pivot you've been shot thing that Fabregas did and that Oscar did the referee whatever happens will not give a penalty I, I, I've never met Oscar but I've met Sask and spent some time with him and he's actually a really pretty bright guy I thought it was quite interesting so Ospina comes out on Oscar absolutely takes him out I don't know what Michael Oliver saw what rules he applied but how that cannot be a foul is simply beyond me. Anybody want to stick up for Michael Oliver here? I would stick up for him and say that I think he's the best referee in the country, but I, okay, can't, I can't begin <laughs> to defend that, that particular decision. It was, it's clearly a penalty. The official rule is maybe not really clear on that because it's not the first time we've seen, I mean, I grew up with 
you know, Schumacher and Batiste in the 1982 World Cup and in France we still talk about that it. That was just a light tap, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's what Raphael Honigstein says as well. But, so, you know, we've, we've, we've seen those many times and, and I, really, I really wonder if maybe the, the rule for the referee is not, is not really clear because if you consider that Oscar has taken his shot without, you know, a spinner, you know, before the Ospinar clattered, clattered mm-hmm. him, and that the, the 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 ball is not going in. I don't know. There, there, there must be something somewhere for referees not to give that because again, it's not the first time. You know, not not just in eighty two, but since you know even more recently. So there must be something maybe in the rules that I don't know. Because okay, I've read the laws of the game, and I don't think that there's anything in there that allows you to go and spear an opponent clear. off the ball. Is it, not, is it not the advantage so that if you take the shot unencumbered as he yeah. did? Right. And the shot goes in. The referee is playing advantage because the goal comes before the penalty. So the, right. the example of that is Luis Garcia. Speaking of Liverpool without a striker and Petr Cech, the ghost goal in 2005, when Mourinho complains, "Oh, well, it wasn't a goal." But if it wasn't a goal, it would have been a penalty and a red card. Exactly. So if the referee thinks you're going to score, then he plays advantage. Is what happened that Oliver got confused by the fact that Oster didn't score? Yeah. And there is maybe there is, that is maybe slightly. <laughs> thematically incoherent there's another issue I, I want to raise here because um, obviously working from ESPN on my timeline I have a lot of um, people from the from the states and stuff including ex-players like Taylor Twelman and they were so incensed by the fact that I mean you can see really with Oscar two collisions one with Espina's body the other one uh, when, he, when he goes down that he he remained on the pitch and he remained on the pitch until halftime and then he was went went to hospital. Whereas here in England, I wasn't mentioned a match of the day. It wasn't really mentioned on. Nobody raised the issue. Wait, should Chelsea have taken more precautions? Should they have applied a different concussion protocol? Should there be a stiffer concussion protocol? Well, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That we in the states, it's a it's a a really big thing. Although I would point out that in, it does appear that in the States they, they didn't think about it for like 30 years and now they've suddenly decided that they're really interested in it. Well, for 30 years they didn't really think about football much at all. No, right? no, but yeah. I mean concussion, in, gen- concussion right. in sports. Football seems to take concussion seriously for a bit and then forget about it. And that's not ideal. There needs to be like a, yeah, a rule that says if you have a head collision you are, I know that they've, they, they, they have tried to sort of tweak it this year but if there's some sort of collision, then the player has to come off. That has to be the rule. Ha- what, 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 what does it need to happen for them to, to, to make that kind of decision? So, Some, someone dying or like, we had Joris. <laughs> no, but we had Joris last year. Yeah. And, you know, I speak about Joris because obviously you know, I wrote a lot on it from, from my French newspaper and everything. And in France, it was a big story. Joris wanted to go on, you know, but AVB at the time wanted to, you know, take him off. But Lloris convinced them to stay on, which was the wrong decision by fine. And Fifth Pro, I believe, and, and Andrew Osati are, are, are trying to you know, raise the issue with a lot of people saying this is really dangerous. You, we have to stop leaving the players on the pitch for you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever, sometimes even more after the collision, because you know, that could have to see if you can To see if you can run, run off your concussion. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 JP, do we know? Whether it was a suspected concussion, because after the game, uh, and you're some you know, Marine, you're talking like, well, I don't know if it was a concussion. I just know he went to hospital. Um, I mean, he must know whether it was a concussion or not. He must know why he's <laughs> made the decision to take him off. Is it concussion? Has he, you know, has he broken his toe? Has he done a groin? <laughs> mm, I'm going to go for the concussion. Now Barkley, Lukaku's offside, but Morales isn't, and Morales is away. 
the flag is down and Everton have surely won this game. Right, <clears throat> moving on to Everton and United. Everybody had so much fun with this because this was the fixture last year where um, somebody had uh, paid somebody to dress like the Grim Reaper and I, Julian thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he had a big smile. I don't think it's what you say. I don't think... I think this is also the game after which... David Moyes was uh, was let go, right? 34, uh, 34 matches in? Yeah, correct. Um, it results in United's first loss, and there's no Michael Carrick. Is this causation or just simply coincidence? Well, Ma- well Michael Carrick, uh, I was there at Goodison Park uh, on Sunday, and Michael Carrick was certainly missed. But he's only played in half of the games that Manchester United have played this year. They've got a much better win ratio when he plays than when he doesn't play. I, I don't think you can just exclusively say it was Michael Carrick. There were a number of facets wrong with Manchester United's performance yesterday. But that said... And, and this hasn't really been spoken about. Had Fellaini taken the glorious opportunity within 90 seconds of United going behind, and had they had a modicum of ability in front of goal in a 25-minute period leading up to when they went 2-0 down, United would have won that game pretty comfortably. So I, I think that you know all the glory that has been bestowed on Everton and, and all the, the gnashing of teeth on Manchester United... To be honest, it could have been very different. If that game had been played another 10 times, the respective abilities of those two sides yesterday, it's by no means guaranteed that Everton would have won all 10. I'm not trying to make excuses for United because it was a very listless performance going forward. There, The problem at, uh, as a, a deep-line central midfielder for Daley Blint was exposed again defensively. That is not a back four which would ever go down in the annals of Manchester United history as being one of the greats. He's got problems and you can look at what has happened over the year since Manchester United lost there 12 months ago. They've taken eight points more than they had this time last year. They've scored only three goals more than they have this time last year. And they spent £114 million. That's, that's a net £114 million to make those baby steps. So maybe you need to look at, you know, whether the the Van Gaal revolution is still on course. But I don't think yesterday you can necessarily take yesterday's performance in isolation because it was only the fifty feet they've had in twenty nine games. Rory, do you, do you buy this interpretation, or do you want to give a little bit of praise to Roberto Martinez? He's yeah. earned his accent. He's earned his accent. Yeah. No, I think Jim's right. I think there was an there was an element of. I, it sounds really. Do stupid. you really think he's right? Are you really going to just just go and rubbish Roberto like that? No, I, do you know? I, got, I, think, I think there Seriously. is. I think there is a Martinez deserves credit because he has stepped away Martinez, a little bit. Coño. Martinez deserves credit because he has <laughs> stepped away from his quite dogmatic approach that was harming Everton at one point in the season. He's become a little bit more, not completely, but a little bit more pragmatic. That was important. That's part of his development as a manager. That was really patronising thing to say. It's completely it patronising. He's though. been managing for like 10 years and he needs like, no, you to come along and say like, okay, Roberto, <laughs> this is what you need to do. You need to be less dogmatic. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to be of service. But I think Jim's right in that, this sounds really stupid, but we read too much into isolated results. Yes, Everton beat Man United 3-0. Does that mean that Van Gaal needs to tear up everything he's been doing and start again? No. Does it mean that Everton are suddenly back to where they were last year? No. It just means that United had a bad day, Everton had a good day. There's, there's a danger of reading, of concluding too much from one performance. I, I, think, I think Everton yesterday, what they did very cleverly was allow Manchester United to bring the ball out from the back, knowing that they could spring on the counter-attack. So they, they surrendered possession to a certain extent. And certainly at half-time, I didn't see the full-time possession stats. At half-time, Everton's possession was only 38% and they were 2-0 up. Having scored one from a, a set-piece and the other... 
from a counter-attack. And, and clearly the ability to hit United on the counter-attack was something they'd worked on because they were more than happy for Smalling or McNair to come forward through the midfield. And despite the fact that Everton had Barkley and McCarthy uh, in there, they had Osman playing quite narrow from one side and Gareth Barry sitting deep, they would still allow United possession in that kind of area because they knew they were quite toothless up front and wouldn't be able to hurt them and get in behind. So I think it was a, it was a very different performance from Everton yesterday than the last time I'd seen them a fortnight previously away at Swansea. But I think that, that perhaps that performance at Swansea showed that, that Everton still aren't the finishing finished article yet. I don't want to take any credit away from Everton, but I don't think you can read too much into yesterday's performance as a marker that they have made giant steps and they're going to be champ Champions League challenges again next year. Is Gareth Barry ageing quicker than any other player in the Premier League? I thought he did all right yesterday. You think? Yeah. yeah I thought so yesterday there. was okay. What I liked about yesterday, I got my Louis back yesterday. I got my, my Louis back with his dodgy tactical choices. Like Ander Herrera, who's been arguably in your top three best player of the season, did really well against Chelsea in that holding role in your, in your three-man midfield. Why on earth? Why on earth you put Dali Blind back in there when the guy is a good left-back, definitely not a top midfielder in my opinion why, why you do, he's a why, good left no, back let me finish let me finish why would you change that oh, he's a better left back than a holding midfielder that's for sure he did very well at left back but the point is the dude the dude can't run so like yeah at some point don't, don't play him then but don't don't certainly play him in a holding midfielder especially after a good performance against chelsea when he was not there why would you change again it, it doesn't make any sense for me. And then so, you put, sorry, who would you? So, so you'd put? You would have put what? Like the Di same Maria? midfielder against Chelsea. You didn't need to. You know, you, you could have kept exactly the same midfielder against Chelsea with Herrera, Rooney, and Fellaini, and keep Falcao up front, and then keep Young and, and Young and Mata. But can you trust Falcao? Of course you She's can. She's foreigners, no? Of course Long hair, swarthy, no? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. And and that was my Louis back. And then second thing, the United players who stopped running before the third goal by Miralas. Yeah. All of those, yeah. listen to me, all of those, the end of the season with the reserve. The bloody reserves. The whole remaining game of the season, they go with the reserves. I'm trying to picture I that. I wish we could name names. Well, it's easy. It Valencia, four, four, yeah. Yeah. All of them. Smalling, McNair, Shaw, and maybe even a midfielder there somewhere. Blind probably. Well, Blind gets higher. You can't expect them I to don't keep care. All of them in reserve. Good. How can you stop running? Thinking that Lukaku is offside, you know, and just like put your hands up and then stop running. Come that on. was that but, was weird, and that's yeah. not something you see in England very it's, often. Do you know, actually, that's not something you see in senior football anywhere. <laughs> that was, I mean, it was that was really, really bad. As though Kevin Morales suddenly kind of appeared out of nowhere from the ether. <laughs> they sort of his existence crystallized on the left wing. It's extraordinary. It, I've, I've not seen that happen. And I think Jules is right, and I mean, I, I think players should get fined if their corners don't beat the first man. But yeah, yeah I think the, that's the first thing you taught. Oh, Keep running, JP. Was it? Was it that? I mean, you you were yes, there. Yes, it, 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 yeah, it was that, that bad. bad. Yeah, it was that bad. Because, as you said, as, as Rory said, you know, it wasn't as if Morales is just suddenly. Uh, um, teleported from another part of the pitch and, <laughs> and and ended up like some. This is a cultural reference that that I appreciate. Rory will uh, will get more than than you other two, having not seen yeah. glorious 1980s children's TV over here. But it was like something like the Adventure Game, yes, w where he suddenly he appears on a certain square. Oh, there he is! He wasn't there a minute ago, he's, but now there he is. That didn't happen. They all stopped waiting for the flag to come up. I thought for a moment Lukaku was going to cop the whole thing up and actually play the ball, but he, he managed to get out of the way of it. Clearly, the interpretation from the officials was correct. He wasn't interfering with play. 
and Morales did the rest. But it was the most extraordinary bit the of defending I've seen for a long time. The choreography between Lukaku mm. stopping and then all of the other players stopping as soon as he'd stopped was, in a way, was quite beautiful. Even small, I think Smalling turns round. The guy actually turns round thinking, "I'm going to get a free kick now. Let's look, you know, who I can pass the ball." Come on, you right. know, very simple. So. That's the nice thing if you're Manchester United. You have so many players that you stick these four doofuses in the in the in the reserves as as, as Dr. Lawrence yeah. uh, ordered, and you still have a decent back four, right? Is it, well, is it, it doesn't matter, Ra- does it? Because Raphael's fit. I, I'm assuming yeah. he's just not playing. He doesn't like no, him. No, right? he's not. He's not fit. In fairness, he um, picked up an injury for the for the under 21s on Monday. But Johnny oh. Evans is available. Okay, yeah. so there you go. So you got Evans is, is, and and, uh, and Jones maybe. Yeah, do we have just some Jones like, love? Uh, uh, yeah, he's carrying an injury as well. Yeah, okay, but Black he's fine. He's, Jones is hard, and he's and he's English. You can play actually. You can play Jones at right back. You play uh, um, Evans and Rojo in the middle, or or, or and, Blackett, and, and, or Blackett, and then you got Rojo and left back. Oh, we can. You don't need these four turds who let you down, exactly. Fanal. The four of us would have played JP at right back, Rory and Gav in the centre, <laughs> me at left back, could be offensive le- left back, and we we wouldn't have stopped running for sure. No, yeah, we probably wouldn't that have caught anybody, <laughs> but yes. I, I would have stopped running about 45 minutes previously. Yeah, maybe. The, um, we don't need to worry about Man United's defence, because they are going to sign the only central defender in the world, Mats Hummels. There are no other central defenders left, so you yeah. have to sign Mats Hummels, and he will be the saviour of Manchester United, because he's so quick and never makes any mistakes. Hummels, Wijnaldum and Gundogan, right? That, that, that's what... And the Maybe. Oh, sorry, to find out them. No, sorry, to pay. Screw my health. What was I thinking? Yeah, same team. But what sign... about that Yanazai kid? No, no, yeah, no, but apparently no, he was quite no, good. No. Yeah, they're going to sign Hunderhand because he played really well in the last three years. He's been absolutely at his best in the last three years. He never gets hurt either. And they're going <laughs> to sign Matt Hummels because Hummels is so quick. He's just so quick and he's so good in the air. It is. Uh, by the way, we're not actually saying that any of these are going to happen. So I don't want y'all going on Twitter and like uh, abusing Roy. Roy, you said that Hunderham was coming. I'm making the point that Matt Hummels, although he is very handsome and is nice on the ball, is not that good a defender. And the way that he's been dressed up as the heir to Baresi is ridiculous. And it's in part because there are no decent central defenders left. But it's also in part because nobody watches as much football as they pretend to mm. and so they think that the Matt Summers they saw in, in Euro 2012 is the same Matt Summers that exists now I want to look forward just, just talk a little bit of Champions League the semi-finals Juventus and Real Madrid Barcelona and Bayern Munich JP is this a good thing in the sense that I think unless you're a freaking idiot you probably agree that Barcelona Bayern and Real Madrid in whatever order you put them are the three best teams in the world and we should probably celebrate they reach the semi-final because that's what's supposed to happen. Or is it a bad thing and doom and gloom and, you know, the curse of financial fair play because those guys are there? I don't see how it can possibly be a bad thing. Why wouldn't you want the best teams to be involved in the in the semi-finals of the competition? I'm not. I'm not saying that Juventus are the fourth best team in Europe. I think that they will. They will give it a, a good go. They've they've thoroughly earned the place there after winning the games that they've played. Uh, but why? I, I don't understand this argument. Why would you? Why wouldn't you want the best teams in the final four of the competition? It's like with the World Cup. Like you want an underdog in the World Cup until the quarterfinals, and then, then you want them to realise that no one wants them in the semi-finals and go home. We want to see Brazil play Argentina. <laughs> it's the same every time you sort of get South. That's Korea, how we like, feel in Italy when England get to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's like with South Korea. It's fine. It's like with South Korea in 2002. You think, really? Come on, lads, go home. Come on, We've, enough, enough. Let 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 Germany be in the semi-finals. Or you do, anyway, they were anyway. Yes, this season you want Bayern, Real, Barca. The danger for the Champions League, for football in general, is that it's the same every season. And that's not healthy long term. Short term, it's fine. It's a great thing to watch. There'll be four great games. The final will be fantastic. 
but long term it's dangerous if it's the same teams doing the same things sort of corralling all the players this hoarding of talent I don't know you just don't know what the long term effects could be for football yeah but you make it sound as though it would be impossible then for Monaco to have got there it would make it would be impossible for any of the English clubs You've to got get one there slot. Or... you have one slot but um, right is there a point to be made here perhaps that Obviously, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich are huge clubs with high turnover and so on. But if you look at their spending and their wage bills, they're not the only clubs like that. Uh, Chelsea are in the same ballpark. United aren't even in the Champions League, but they are certainly in the same uh, ballpark. City have financial fair play restrictions, but they were there before. Well, even Arsenal, in terms of wage bill and their spending the last two summers, yeah. yeah. Could it just be that these are better run clubs? And so maybe we shouldn't lament the fact that they're good. It's, it, I, I realize that it's, it's kind of, I'm making sort of a Thatcherite argument. And like everybody else in the media, we have to be very left-wing. And if people are successful, bring them down. <laughs> but um, <laughs> by the same token, I mean, are, are they victims of their own success? Were, were you sitting there? When Tiger Woods kept winning everything, were you sitting there and saying, like, this is rubbish, I don't want to see this. No, well, It's I'm, not fair. I'm British, so I didn't like Tiger Woods or Michael Schumacher when they were competing. Didn't like them, don't like, didn't like Federer. Don't like people winning everything, it's boring. Boring if the same person wins something all the time. It's boring. So you don't celebrate hate, greatness. See? The thing this I is... hate most about all sports is Wimbledon clapping Federer. Why are you clapping him? He's won it like 50 times. Let the other guy have a chance. I'm British. That's how we see the world. You must be delighted that AP McCoy's retired. I am. You? I'm glad. It's boring. Boring. <laughs> In terms of, yes, they're victims of their own success. They are well-run clubs to an extent, most of them. There's all... There's like weirdnesses with each of them. You can't replicate any of their models because they are unique models, all three of them. But I think you have to, you do have to separate that. It's a difficult question. I don't have an answer to it. But is it good for football to have three or four teams who are the very kind of epitome of excellence, or is it better if the overall top bar is lower, but the quality is spread out? I would rather have a European Cup where you could have a pool of. <laughs> 10 teams, 12 teams, trying to get, hopefully from lots of different countries, that'd be nice, trying to get to the semis rather than thinking, basically, those three teams are going to be in the semi-finals for the foreseeable future unless one of them messes up or they play each other before. I have good news for you then, Rory, because um, UEFA, in the form of Gianni Infantino, um, they are taking steps. They share some of your concerns and they are taking some steps in that direction. So next time around, the market pool, mm. which for those who don't know, <laughs> is one of the most unfair things around, but I realize why it's there. But it's the reason why if an English team wins it, they get a lot more money than a team from Belarus because it's the share that depends on the size of your domestic TV contract. It's also why Juventus will earn more than anybody, even if they get, even if they lose both games 10-0 against Real Madrid because they have the combination of an enormous domestic TV contract and uh, having reached a semi-final and being the only Italian team left in the competition. So that's going to be reduced. We're going to have the winners of the top seven nations uh, seeded, which should help spread things around a tiny bit. So there are little baby steps uh, that they are taking. For me, the big one is increasing the homegrown player requirement uh, or the association-trained player retirement, because then it becomes a lot more difficult to hoard, and it does change the dynamic a little bit. Um, it becomes a lot more difficult to hoard. Do you yeah. think so? Oh, yeah. You, you can't hoard top players because you have, to, you have to have, like, a bunch of homegrown eligible stiffs in your team, right? So okay, you, like, but though, but, I think but, Dedrick Boyata, right, yeah. is taking up a spot that could go to a much better player simply because he's association-trained. 
or homegrown. Yeah. Okay. But but do you not think lower down lower down the food chain away from the the elite of European football, that then a, a club like Chelsea, who've already got however many dozens of players out on loan this season, will just hoard a lot more homegrown players. So the likes of Solanke and Izzy Brown and and you know Pat Bamford and people will just be retained by Chelsea for longer and longer and won't get first team football elsewhere. Do you not see that as a natural extension? There'd still be a 25 men 25 man squad and if they think that Solanke is better than another English striker that they could maybe go and buy, then good for them. If if you increase the 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 homegrown player requirement from its current eight to twelve. Or even, why not, 14. It still means you can go and sign 11 foreign superstars if you want to. Yeah, but I, I'm not... I mean, Gab, I appreciate that, but I'm not, I'm not so fussed about that. I'm more fussed about clubs like Brentford or, you know, championship-level clubs not getting their hands on young English talent because you know any, anybody with a modicum of talent at the moment is being snapped up by one of the big boys in the Premier League and if they don't make it, well, they don't make it and, and who cares? And that makes it more difficult for the clubs lower down. And yeah, fine, Barca, Bayern, Real, all wonderful teams, the three best on, on the planet. You'd probably chuck Chelsea in as the fourth best in Europe, I would guess. Would you? Yeah, I think so. No, PSG, every oh, PSG. PSG. Yeah. Fine, one of those two, fine. <laughs> or, or, I mean, you could make a case for Juve, you very good side, although they weren't really good. Why would I make a case for Juve, ever? No, I, I think you might make a, a case for Arsenal, possibly, if you're talking the last couple of months. Yeah, there's a, there's a few other, but the, the it's risk... It's a movable feast. The risk is that it's only one slot that's available, unless the draw keep, puts those two, Bayern, Barca and Real, two of them together, in the quarterfinals. And that's dangerous, because at some point it does get a bit repetitive and a little bit boring. But yeah, they can catch up, though. You know, there'd, there'd be more money for English clubs than ever with the new TV deal, which would mean more money for them, you know, if they want to spend, if they want to develop the academy, you know, all of that. And I think it's not impossible for others to catch up. I don't want Otherwise, to, those three, you know, the three teams would have won the Champions League in the, in the last six years, which did. But I don't have any interest necessarily in that full spot being, like, being taken by an English club. I'd like it to be taken by PSV Eindhoven or Partizan Belgrade or someone like that. Why PSV Eindhoven? It was a great, it was a great column oh, on ESPN. No, it was, uh, you know, it was a really good yeah. column, I thought. And, mm. and you're right. You know, if you're a PSV Eindhoven fan... I thought his column was actually completely incorrect, actually. On, uh, <laughs> Because, in fact, apart from Depay, they don't need to sell any of these other people. I think you'll find that if offers come in for people like Jetro Willems, they, yeah, they will go. go. That's the danger. I agree they probably don't need to sell anybody other than But Vinaldo then they make a Depay. choice because Jetro Willems isn't that good. So if I get $20 million for him, then I can go and reinvest it and buy a bunch of other people. Yeah, but you're taking that risk again, aren't you? But you're making a call what's best What's best for your club. The, the problem... No, nobody's allowed to make decisions. No, the problem with, with the, PSV, the PSV situation, and it's not just them, is, is the inevitability of it. It's the fact that there is no hope of them keeping that team together. And that, I think, is quite sad. And if you don't find... I, do you know what, Jab? I don't believe that you don't think that's sad. No, I don't I, believe that. Well, firstly, I don't really like PSV, so I don't <laughs> think it's why. sad at all. But secondly, no. They, 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 I, I've, I've kind of, I came up with a solution about this all, for this a long, long time ago, and it's a structural problem that affects, I think, every league outside the, the, the big five in Europe which is simply they don't have the critical mass to generate enough domestic revenue in terms of sponsorship and TV. And that's why I go back and I refer you to the Atlantic League Which solution. I think is a great idea, yeah. How about some quick hits? Liverpool are held at West Brom, nil-nil. Uh, but Rory, I'm far more interested in your take on Rodgers, who said last week that there was, quote, nobody better than him to manage the club next season. Is this a sign of confidence or delusion? Or maybe both? It is a sign of confidence. Yeah, but it is, we've, we've all talked. We've all talked more than enough. Uh, it's a sign of confidence, but it's misplaced. There are better candidates out there. It will be Rogers. Liverpool will be the same again next season. 
Southampton dominates Spurs, but are held at home 2-2. Jim, was this the classic game where a draw really doesn't suit either team, at least when it comes to chasing fourth place? Yes, it is, because uh, neither of them can get to fourth place. Tottenham don't want to be in the Europa League, so they would have rather lost that game. Um, if, they, if they'd lost, it would have significantly cut down the chances that uh, they would have been in the Europa League next season. Southampton fans have never had a good run in Europe. Spurs are bored by the Europa League, so it was a game that Saints needed to win. By the way, if you believe Pochettino when he says that they don't want to be in the Europa League... You're extremely gullible. Manchester City make hard work of it, but eventually beat Aston Villa, and for now at least are in second place. Julian, will Pellegrini's future really be determined by whether they finish second or third or fourth or fifth? If they finish fifth, I think that will determine his future because he's going to go home to, to Chile. But if they don't finish outside of the top four, I think he will stay. My friend described Pellegrini as the Chilean Ericsson, and actually I thought was really harsh. Watford will be playing in the Premier League next season. Uh, Rory, you've spent time with the owner, Gino Pozzo, who also happens to own Granada and Udinese. What's their secret? Certainly not managerial stability because they've had four different guys on the bench this season. Yuck, yuck, yuck. They've bought well. They've got three strikers who, I mean, Dini's been there a while, but the others, they've, they've, they've brought them in. They've stood a lot across 56, I think, between the three of them, which is impressive. Vidra didn't really do very well when he was with West Brom in the Premier League, which would worry you a little bit. I really like the Udinese model. Uh, despite the fact that I have a feeling that contradicts everything else we've said on this podcast. <laughs> um, Pozzo really knows what he's doing. He's a really impressive guy. Watford, I think, might be okay next season. And who knows? That, you know, they might end up with, like, some of Udinese. You might see Tony Christmas in the Premier League. You might They might get loads of Udinese players shifted to them. There's more money in the Premier League. Mm, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. We had some rip-roaring games in the battle to avoid relegation with QPR, Leicester, Sunderland and Hull all getting points. Uh, JP, if this keeps up, is there a chance that Newcastle, who lost their seventh on the bounce, could go down and a couple of those other folks stay up? Nope. Newcastle have got 35 points. That's enough. That will keep them up. They don't need to get another point. Sunderland have got Arsenal, Chelsea and Everton away from home yet. I don't see them winning any of those. Uh, they might take four points from two home matches against Southampton and Leicester. That will only take them to 34. QPR and Burnley aren't getting to 34, so Newcastle are safe on 35. All right, good news for the Geordie Empire. Surprise, surprise, Eden Hazard wins the PFA Player of the Year with Harry Kane grabbing the Young Player of the Year. Julian, um, we talked about the inanity and sheer stupidity of these awards last week. Uh, do you have a better solution for reform? I do. I think uh, we should merge the PFA Player of the Year and the Football Writers Player of the Year. And what we should do is that each club captain in the Premier League and each manager have vote for the top three player of the season. And you also have a panel of five journalists, including Gab, Rory, JP and me. No, and I'm not a member else. of the Football Writers Association. I've never no, been asked to join. Thing. I'm not it's allowed. It's a new thing. You're Henry the president. Winter. You're the president of the new thing. I, th and I, th then I think Henry Winter should get the casting vote. <laughs> Why don't we just let Henry Winter decide when we obviously... That better? would be an excellent yeah, idea. And, and then, and then it would be much better like that, much fairer. Maybe do it sort of at the end of the season. Yeah, as well, as well yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. Uh, Gab, I have a question for you. Uh, we have new champions in Germany now. Uh, let me guess, it is Borussia Mönchengladbach. No, Rory, you should have been paying closer attention. It is, in fact, Bayern München. It's interesting. What I, what I found interesting is Pep Guardiola obviously wins a second straight with fewer points than last year and fewer points uh, than in Heinkes's final season, uh, less goals as well, but a lot fewer goals conceded. Um, this is projecting out to the end of the season, obviously. Uh, I, I think there is a perception that Bayern have had all sorts of issues this season. Obviously, they had injuries in the Muller-Wolfart business and the World Cup hangover. But I think we're seeing Guardiola really refine, try to refine the team even more defensively. And um, I think 
when fit and happy, Benassia and Boateng is the best centre-back partnership in Europe. And by some distance. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Player FM for Android, yeah, Android, please do so. Many thanks to my guests today, the very talented Julian Lawrence, the exceptional Jim Proudfoot, and Rory Smith. Many, many thanks to my guests today who took time out of their busy, busy schedules to join us. Uh, It's uh, the excellent Julian Lawrence, the almost as excellent Rory Smith, and the even more excellent Jim Proudfoot. And I'm just going by seniority here. Uh, Check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Uh, And if you do, you'll find out that members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights. Uh, You get them free as part of your subscription. If you're not a member yet, do not despair. Do not panic. Just take a deep breath, and then you'll realize that you can take our one-pound digital trial today. You can just search Timesport online. I'll see you, same place, same time, next week. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. 